0: Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney, whose GTF engines are redefining aviation. Learn more at pwgtf.com TA Connections, the industry's most comprehensive airline lodging and crew logistics program, taconnections.com Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines and Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale, seaburycapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at airlinesconfidential.com.
1: Well, happy summer listening. I'm Ben Baldanza, and thanks for tuning in to Airlines
2: Confidential. And I'm Chris Chimes, hope you've had a good week since we last talked, and we've got news, we've got chatter, we've got your questions, so I guess we better get going. First out of the block's been Southwest Airlines, Gary Kelly, Robert Jordan, what do you think?
1: Well, obviously, this was one of the biggest news stories of the week with Gary Kelly announcing that he would be stepping down as CEO, and he has to be thought of as probably the most successful airline CEO of the last 16 years. Southwest has been such a consistently well-run, positive company. And while they've had some issues and labor and maintenance and other things, they've Just been amazing company and sort of consistent with their 50 year anniversary, too, which is amazing to think of what used to be this little airline now 50 years old. The big news here, I think, Chris, was that Bob Jordan was made the CEO. He's obviously been at Southwest for a long, long time and has done a lot of important things, including being responsible for their transition with AirTran when they bought AirTran. But he was sort of you know, a man behind the curtain for the last decade or so, in a sense. And I think if you had put out bets that, hey, if, if Gary Kelly retires, who would replace him? I think more bets would have been on President Tom Nealon or COO Mike Vandevin But Bob Jordan, I think, is a great pick for the job, and I think it probably shows just how much trust Gary Kelly has in him. Southwest has always been a sort of people and employees first kind of company, and I bet that when Gary Kelly was thinking about who is my best replacement, he probably thought about all these people, but thought that Bob would do the best job with the unions and with the labor groups there and really keeping a consistency. And since he, Gary Kelly, I mean, is going to stay on as executive chairman, maybe just wanted to work with Bob in that role a little more. Fascinating news. How did you uh, interpret not only the retirement of Gary Kelly, but the pick of Bob Jordan as his successor?
2: I view this as a statement about the remarkable depth of the bench of this team. The fact that they had so many outstanding candidates to choose from. And it really goes back to, um, you know, Herb Kelleher and building this culture uh, where the only execs that succeed are the ones that kind of foster the culture and work within the system that uh, Southwest uh, shows every day. So, I mean, Gary stepped into the role he had as CEO kind of following a legend again, not to overplay the sports metaphors, but, um, you know, he kind of succeeded. Vince Lombardi, right? I mean, that's that's a big job to do, and he did it seamlessly. And, you know, Bob Jordan and all the other execs who have helped Gary succeed are are right there and kind of carrying on that tradition. So I I wouldn't say it was like shockingly surprising. I think um, the news kind of came out of the blue a little bit. There was always speculation that his retirement was coming up soon, but I think it's a, a smart pick. And again, it's an indication of just how strong that management team is.
1: I agree with that. And I also think it also suggests that there's not going to be meaningful changes. This isn't a transition about the company evolving in a lots of new ways. I mean, I think in, it was the first 24 hours or so where I think they asked Robert Jordan, you know, are you going to start charging for bags? And he said, no, we're not going to do that, right? And so there were at least some people thinking, well, change in CEO, maybe Southwest changes certain operating parameters. And they kind of put the kibosh on all that talk real early. So I think it not only suggests exactly what you said, but that they think the company's in a good position coming out
2: of COVID and they're going to keep rowing that boat in the exact same direction. I wonder if bag fees were an interview question as as the board was deciding uh, who they were going to (laughs) pick. Let's go across the pond uh, to the UK, Ben. After starting to bring back employees from furlough in May amidst signs of the pandemic easing, British Airways has reversed course of sorts and put thousands of workers back on furlough. Any lessons from all this?
1: Well, I think there are some lessons, which is – as much as individuals might be excited about being told they don't need to wear masks at you know every place now and things like that, as a globe, we're not out of this pandemic yet. And the U.S. is ahead of a lot of other countries in terms of vaccine rollout and Yes some some countries in Europe have opened up their borders to vaccinated US travelers but British Airways and IAG are part of a you know part of a big group and when they're looking at how much transatlantic traffic is going to be there over the next year or so and how much business traffic is going to be there they probably see a much more pessimistic view than many airlines in the US see about the domestic US air travel. So I think the lesson is, we're not out of this pandemic yet in a global aviation standard. Obviously, if you wanna look further beyond the UK at places like India, that country is still largely shut down from the pandemic. Places like Vietnam, similar, right, and others. So the fact that British Airways sort of ramped up, but then said, well, we're not quite there yet, and then had pull back. I'm sure that was very frustrating for British Airways, but I think it's a reality of the long haul transatlantic travel is still a long pull in this tent, and it's still very uncertain as to when that traffic's coming back, especially the business travelers that pay to sit in the business class seats, which really drive a lot of the economics of those flights.
2: Yeah, I agree, Ben. I th- Think it's a strong but fragile recovery, uh, all at the same time. So things could uh, go sideways at any moment, and um, hopefully the lessons learned about cost containment and procedures and protocols and all the things that we've all experienced the last year and a half won't be forgotten. More news in a second, but first a thanks to Pratt and Whitney, the world leader in the design, manufacture, and service of aircraft and helicopter engines and auxiliary power units. Pratt & Whitney has the broadest and deepest experience in all forms of aircraft propulsion. To learn more about their 95 years of innovation and how they power the future of flight, visit PrattWhitney.com. So Ben, back to the news. Uh, Still on the continent of sorts and then kind of back to the U.S. all at the same time. This past week would have been the Paris Air Show, which of course was canceled Um, and is always uh, the basis for lots of aircraft order news. There continues to be rumors of, quote, a huge aircraft order from United. As we record this, there is still no confirmation, although the news could break before showtime. There's a Bloomberg story reporting that this will be announced at a United investor event on June 29th. So, Ben, nothing like putting you on the spot. Do you want to predict how huge huge is? And is this the right time for United to be making this kind of an announcement?
1: Well, Chris, I've seen this news as well that an order is imminent. And if you read sort of the trade press on this right now, they're suggesting that it could be an order for 200 or more narrow-body airplanes. That would be the 737 Max most likely, and the Airbus A321, two of the you know most important planes that are being ordered out there. The 737 Max, obviously, the most efficient of the 737 fleets, coming back pretty strongly now after being grounded for almost two years. And the A321 fills a category bigger than most narrow bodies, but not quite as large as the biggest wide bodies and yet really good range that really plays a role that years ago, the 757 used to play. And that's going to be a real popular airplane for a number of years. So what doesn't surprise me that United's going to place an order for new airplanes. I think the timing should almost be expected by United now. They've been very aggressive at some of their fleet moves. They've been very aggressive talking about their growth. They made the announcement a couple of weeks ago about committing to the supersonic airplane. And it wasn't all that long ago at United when a huge piece of their fleet were sort of 50 and 70 seat regional jets. And they were really dependent on those smaller small trip costs, but high seat cost airplanes. And under Scott Kirby, the airline has really built up its hubs, really changed the company in a lot of really positive ways. So I think in order that's going to make them more fuel efficient, help them talk about being able to meet sustainability goals sooner, and sort of put them into the true modern efficiency age with these two new airplanes the MAX and the 321neo is probably going to be great news for united their employees probably means um you know a retirement plan for a lot of older equipment and to support growth that united airlines has been quite aggressive about coming out of covid united has been probably the most aggressive of the three big airlines in the United States since COVID, in terms of how they're thinking about their business and they're clearly signaling we're gonna come out of this and we're gonna be strong and we're gonna win from this. So I think this would be a huge event and it's unfortunate that the Paris Air Show couldn't have been done in person. We all understand why it wouldn't because those tend to be really terrific events from which to place that kind of order, get lots of press, lots of interviews, things like that.
2: Ben, I agree with all your comments and uh, probably just want to add, uh, my bet is they're getting some very favorable uh, pricing on these aircraft to kind of go first uh, right out of the gate uh, as the industry recovers. And then uh, Scott Kirby's had a long time to – Think about how he wants to be CEO, and he has been bold at every opportunity since he took over at United. So um, I think this is just another example of how he intends to lead this company and kind of move them to the top of the uh, industry. So credit to him and to them, and let's see uh, if all the press speculation is correct. And then, Ben, uh, while we're on aircraft orders, do you want to speculate on the rumor that Delta's about to pick up a bunch of A350s that Latam disposed of in bankruptcy restructuring?
1: Well, this was an interesting story, too. And again, as our listeners know, and we've talked about on the podcast, Chris, Delta's position with LATAM having essentially pulled them away from the One World Alliance and American and uh, by investing in them. but, But then they went into bankruptcy, which made you think, well, what does that mean long term for Delta LATAM? But the A350s is a very good but somewhat expensive plane. While LATAM is the largest airline in Latin America, in a global sense, they're not a huge airline. And so the A350, I'm sure, was a real strain on that airline's balance sheet. So it doesn't surprise me that they used bankruptcy to relieve themselves of that obligation. A lot of the longer-haul flying, maybe not all of it, but a lot of it that LATAM does, including from deep South America to North America and to Europe and such, can be done with lower-cost airplanes than the A350, whereas Delta has a lot more options for that plane. That plane can do a lot more for Delta than it Could do for LATAM. So it doesn't surprise me that LATAM got rid of them. And it also doesn't completely surprise me that Delta would use sort of what I'm sure is an opportunity. The LATAM rejecting these airplanes in bankruptcy put the financial owners of that airplane, lessors or Airbus, depending on whether the plane was delivered or not, in a tough position where they had a pretty big order book. So Delta coming in to potentially swoop that up, I'm sure that They would get really, really good pricing on that airplane, and they probably saw, here's an opportunity to get some really good airplanes at maybe a distressed price because of the bankruptcy of LATAM. And Delta just has a lot more places to fly these airplanes than LATAM does, so I think this could really be a win-win. LATAM strengthens its balance sheet by removing a plane that was probably difficult for that airline. And Delta potentially picks up a plane that'll be very good for their much broader network at probably really good prices.
2: Agreed. Uh, Again, Delta being bold, moving fast. That's where success comes right now, is taking advantage of these opportunities. Final question, Ben. Here in the US, American Airlines has canceled hundreds of flights going back the past few weeks, and then uh, forward-looking into July as well. Worker shortages are most often cited in the media coverage, although the carrier seems to be trying to throw in weather into the mix as well. Uh, And then the management consulting firm Oliver Wyman has issued a report this past week ringing the bell on airline labor shortages across the board being a real threat to airline recovery, specifically calling out the recurring issue of pilot shortages. So where are all the airline employees, been?
1: Well, that's a great question. I thought the story of the American cancellations was interesting. I mean, when did we think we'd hear an airline story where airlines cancel flights because of too much demand? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of what's <laughs> happened in a way. They've said, we want to fly all these flights and we've loaded all these flights and they've booked up, but we don't have the people to serve them all. And it's kind of a crazy situation we're in where demand does seem quite strong. American has been more aggressive than the other big airlines. It's funny. We've talked about United being aggressive, Delta being aggressive. Now we're talking about American being aggressive. But in terms of domestic capacity, American has been very aggressive about this. And you're right. They have blamed people, pilots, weather. They blamed a lot of things. I bet that some of these cancellations, however, were also that they had just put out a lot of flights more than Delta or United had. And when they were looking at bookings, they said, we need to trim some so some of it was probably that they just loaded a bit too much. That said, I think the Oliver Wyman report is probably right on airline labor shortages. And I'll tell you what it seems to me, Chris. Airline workers, some of them took early outs, so they're no longer in the industry. Some of them decided to you know, opt out for a period of time and maybe haven't come back yet. Others have stayed on with the airline, but they've been working in a much slower environment up until just the last couple of months with fewer flights, not as many challenges. And relatively quickly, travel has rebounded and airlines are saying, we got to fly all these flights again. So I think there's a fewer number of people who are put into this position where they've got to handle all these flights, all this congestion again trying to get these planes turned in tough airspace and such and the industry is has got to deal with this by recruiting quickly and making sure that their capacity loads are in line with what they can really deliver. Just because demand is out there, if airlines don't have the people to serve the flight, they'd be better off loading fewer flights, maybe taking some of that demand in fare as opposed to just volume. But I really think that uh, the industry is looking at both pilot and other worker shortages from a year and a half of everybody just not working all that hard or having to work all that hard. And a number of people, especially more senior people at the big airlines, deciding I'm done with my career and don't have to do this anymore. And while that probably was good for short-term cash planning for airlines, to let a lot of those people go, they're now saying we really need that resource to Service the demand that's out there. This is a a bit of a conundrum for the industry, I think. They want to fly a lot of flights this summer. They're still uncertain about long-term business demand, but now they're saying, how are we going to make sure to rebuild those pipelines of pilots, mechanics, flight attendants, and everything else we
2: need? Absolutely right. And I think there's probably a little bit Mm -hmm. of pilot training Embedded in all this is carriers are coming back quicker than they anticipated and the training cycles not being able to stay uh, on pace with that. So they're just uh, having to be selective and pull some stuff back.
1: And Chris, I I, I want to put you on the spot a minute here, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is you're a communications guy and Southwest Airlines cancels a lot of flights for computer problems and they say, We've had to cancel a lot of flights because we've had some computer outages. And the general media narrative, is says, oh, this is a great airline. How unfortunate these cyber is a big issue in, Amer- in America all over. They've now been bitten with that bug. Right. And. Other airlines trim flights all the time, cancel 20 here, 30 there, whatever, and it doesn't get reported. Then American cancels only like 1% to 2% of its schedule, but it's hundreds of flights, and the media is – does this company know what it's doing? Can it manage its people? Is it managing its growth? And I think American looked really badly about this when, in fact, what they did wasn't all that different from what's happening to other airlines. Do you think they have a communications problem at American Airlines?
2: No, well, this is just an overhang from you know decades, especially here in Dallas, as, as you watch the local media coverage. You know Southwest generally gets the benefit of the doubt a lot more, um, and there was local coverage of when these cancellations first started appearing. Like you, you would have thought that there were like thousands of people stranded, and they were selective. And yes, they were inconvenient for people who were impacted, but the impact wasn't that significant to American Airlines uh, passengers. But it's a decades long. Issue, you know, when I was at American, we felt it. We were always envious of, you know, why can't we be treated like Southwest? But you know, it's just, it's also embedded in kind of the tension that's always existed between labor and management, and American being more aggressive in some of their passenger uh, guidelines and decisions that that inconvenience people in ways that Southwest passengers have a very simple expectation and it's easier for Southwest to meet that expectation. And they talk simply and they say, here's what happened and people accept it. And, you know, even in this case, American was like given four or five different reasons for why they were canceling and then people just kind of tune it out. And I I think that that that's always a danger versus just being very simple and direct. Here's what's going on.
1: That's really well said, Chris. Uh, companies need your kind of communications experience in these sort of things. Well, we'll be right back with more Airlines Confidential. But first, let's thank Travel Alliance and Hotel Connections, who have come together to become TA Connections. TA Connections provides an intelligent, integrated, flexible suite of applications that allow airlines to deploy an industry-leading mix of augmentation and automations tools, configurable and personalized, to the company's unique needs. Learn more at TAConnections.com. TA Connections is a fleet core company, the world's leading provider of technology and services for crew and passenger logistics management. We'll be back with more Airlines Confidential in a minute.
0: The Airlines Confidential podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. Welcome back to Airlines Confidential, and it's
1: time for listener questions. Remember, you can leave a question on our voicemail at 202 964 Or you can email us at questions at airlinesconfidential.com or visit our website at airlinesconfidential.com and follow the prompts. We're available on all the major podcast platforms, and you can ask Amazon Alexa or Google Assist to turn us on. Just say,
2: play the Airlines Confidential podcast. Ben, our first question is from Dan in Indianapolis, and it's right up your airline geeky alley here. Ben and Chris, I've been wanting to compare monthly ASM levels since the first decline in March 2020 due to COVID. However, as you likely have seen, carriers have not been publishing monthly traffic figures. Sure, they can be obtained on a quarterly basis in a 10Q, and I know that monthly releases are not mandated by the SEC or DOT, But I'm curious as to your ideas why they are not being pushed out. That move didn't happen during previous downturns in 2001 and 2008.
1: This is really an inside baseball question from Dan and a great question. Thank you very much. It is very interesting that airlines have stopped putting out as much information on a monthly basis. And I think the real reason is there has been much more uncertainty with this environment, than even the two you mentioned, the 9-11 or the, the financial crisis. I think what's happened is that in good times, airlines are willing to share lots of information about their company on a regular basis. And obviously, analysts, Wall Street analysts who cover the industry would like to get regular monthly you know, data from airlines around capacity. They'd love to get monthly unit revenue numbers, monthly unit cost numbers if they could, things like that. But with an uncertainty in the world, I think airlines have been reticent to provide more detail than they need to. Every airline has been thinking critically about how much capacity they put out there. They've been watching their liquidity very closely and have been really focused on making sure they have enough cash to survive through this and not have to file bankruptcy or not shudder right? And so I think that the um, the investor relations and the finance people who would put out this kind of information have made a strategic decision largely across the industry to say, better to speak less, and worry about managing ourselves out of this situation. And when things are a little bit normal again, maybe we'll get back into a rhythm of putting those kinds of data out again. I don't think it's more than that. I don't think it's more nefarious than that. I really think it's just a matter of priority of what the airlines are looking at. And what they don't wanna get into a situation with is, questions or sort of pushback is, hey, why are ASMs up this month and down this month when seasonality might suggest the opposite or things like that? That could just really sort of, you know, turn the communication sideways. So I think they've all taken the decision to, we'll put out the information we need to on a quarterly basis, but we're just going to manage the company through this crisis.
2: I think that's fair. I'm all for transparency and giving investors and the public information, but there's not a lack of data about the airline industry. And I think this falls into, does the public or do investors need to know or do they want to know? And I don't think they need to know this. At some point, some airline might determine that it's a competitive advantage to start putting out this data again. But until that happens, uh, I'd be surprised if we see it anytime soon.
1: I think that's right, Chris. And You know, Dan, weeks ago, we had Helene Becker on as a guest. I thought she was a great guest. And I hope all of you who listened to that show enjoyed Helene's insights on things. But Helene and the people who do what she does, I think if you were to ask them as a group, what would make your job better? They would all say, airlines just need to tell us things more often, right? They need to give us more data more often, more regularly. And that would allow them to build better models be more robust in their modeling, things like that. But at the end, airlines have to manage their business first. And I think that's what you see here. Well, more Airlines Confidential Listener questions in a moment. But a reminder that Seabury Securities team of experts has led 13 of the top 20 airline transformations and conducted over $100 billion in aircraft transactions with deep expertise in debt and lease restructurings, aerospace supply chain turnarounds, and helicopter operator transformations. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com.
2: And Ben, another good question, and this is from Stephen in Springfield, Missouri. On a recent episode, your guest from Seabury Capital noted that there would most likely be a change in the industry due to the projected decrease in demand for wide body aircraft. Since working your way up to that higher rating and the associated increases in pay is usually the career goal for pilots, do you foresee this leading towards a push for higher pay for narrow body pilots in an effort to increase recruitment and retention? Or do you see this as a temporary speed bump that simply strengthens the aviation industry's seniority-based systems already in place?
1: Chris, this is a fascinating question from Stephen. And thank you very much, Stephen. I think this is a really forward-looking kind of question, too. You're right. For many pilots, they see the the ultimate move into a wide-body airplane as an important piece of their career, especially when many retirement plans sort of are focused on, you know, the last number of years in your career, and so you want to be making the most money flying the, most, uh, the biggest equipment you can, which generally pays a little more. I have been vocal, and as have been others, about the fact that wide-body airplanes are a challenge right now. The issue with those airplanes is they can make more money than narrow bodies in good times, but they can lose a lot more money in bad times than the narrow bodies can. So, airplanes like the A321LR and XLR are really popular airplanes right now because they allow flights of a length that traditionally have been wide body airplanes, but at narrow body kind of risk profiles. And that does suggest to me, and I think to others in the industry, that over time, there will be fewer wide bodies than have been there historically. As you know, airlines have always ordered a lot more narrow body airplanes than wide body airplanes anyway. But I think that ratio is going to push even further toward the narrow body. So when you think about pilot pay, I actually think you're right. I think this is going to push towards higher pay for narrow body equipment, especially for the larger, longer haul flying narrow body equipment as a way to offset for the fact that maybe not every pilot ascends into a wide body or maybe only much later in their career do they ascend to the wide body than maybe they would have thought of before this pandemic. A lot of people haven't sort of linked fleet changes with COVID in terms of pilot career things. That's why I think your question is so great, Stephen, because I think they clearly are related. And as pilots are thinking about the airline they're working for now and what their career path looks, realistically, they are going to look at fewer opportunities to move into wide bodies than maybe before the pandemic. There's still going to be plenty of wide bodies flown but not quite as many as before the pandemic. So the logical step of that is going to be we need to make more money before we get to that point to keep our careers solid. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on narrow body pilot pay over the next five years or so because of the risk in
2: the wide bodies. Great question. It is a good question, Ben, and that was a good answer. Um, Two things to add. One, labor probably needs to be thinking about how they're going to work with management to pay for higher pay for narrow bodies flying. It's not going to come free, and it's going to have to be offset by savings in other places uh, with work rules or whatever else. So everyone's going to need to take a creative approach. Mindset to the table here, and then we got to remember too that um, if you look at where the growth is in the industry, it's with the uh, low-cost carriers who, for the most part, only fly narrow-body aircraft. So, whether it be the Frontiers and the Jet Blues and the Alaskas, who some of them not really low-cost, but they're the growing carriers in the U.S. or the Ryanair's and the Wizz Airs in Europe or wherever else. I mean, that's that's where the growth is. And so it's not like you're going to have a lot of places to go and jump to another airline that's flying wide bodies. There's just not going to be that many out there. Find Wine is next. And with crowded airports this summer, don't whine about security lines. Choose Clear. Clear makes travel safer and easier. And if you become a member of Clear, you'll enjoy frictionless journeys when you use Clear's home to gate feature, which lets you know exactly the best time to leave for the airport. Plus, Clear's signature experience helps you move seamlessly through airport security. Where will you go? Get back out there with Clear. Chris, this finer wine is from Kevin
1: in San Antonio. I thoroughly enjoy listening to the podcast, and I have a complaint that I'm curious for your take on. I recently booked American Airlines for a trip from Cleveland to San Antonio for travel the next day. I didn't have my payment card handy when I made the booking, so I chose their 24-hour hold option. As it was for the next day travel, I was advised in the email that the hold was only until midnight rather than the full 24 hours. After going about my day, I went to pay online, and due to a card issue, I had to call into reservations. I called in at 10 p.m. and the wait time was so long that I didn't get an agent until after midnight and my hold had expired, meaning the flight that I went after went up by $50 and the agent was unable to price the itinerary at the previous price. I understand the need for a deadline, but I feel I made a reasonable effort to call in two hours before the hold expired and shouldn't have to pay the higher price because American doesn't have enough staff to meet their call volume. What do you guys think? I promise I'll keep listening no matter what the opinion is. (laughs) Chris, what do you think?
2: Well, Kevin, thank you for writing in. I started off being ready to say that this, this was a wine. Kevin, you knew the rules You were the one who didn't have the card handy. You had an issue with your card when you called back. You were cutting it close. Um, So I was going to give you a, I'm sorry, but this is a whine. So then after his initial complaint came in, he wrote us back and he said, so thank you for taking the time to read my previous email, but I have to say that I wrote it while still upset and awaiting a callback. American Airlines got back to me and they gave me the price I originally agreed to. So I think this can all be chalked up as a minor grievance with the only suffering being but too much hold music in the background. So having said all that, I'm going to give Kevin a fine uh, because he was so nice about it from the beginning and he was nice to follow up and take responsibility. And he gets points for being a nice guy and complaining in a constructive way. So let's give him a fine.
1: I think that's great. And I think it's great that he was able to get the flight without paying the extra fifty dollars. I sort of agree. I you know getting to the point where he only had two hours left, there is some culpability there, but two hours is a lot of time, right? And so if they if you had to hold for that long, I agree that it's good that they should have offered the original price, and it looks like they did. so good for good for him and good for American Airlines for doing the right thing too, yep. Well, it's time to sign off, but not before our shout outs. And my shout out goes to a small little aerospace company called By Aerospace, B-Y-E, that is developing all electric airplanes. And they have one called the eFlyer 800 that looks like sort of a small turboprop airplane and can fly eight people, but it's all electric. And they've received an order from a little charter company called Jet It to be the launch customer for their plane. And the reason I'm giving them a shout out is this kind of technology is embryonic in the industry. And yet Proving this kind of technology usually starts small and with small companies and small airlines. So I think it's great that there's going to be a charter airline flying an all-electric airplane. They're only going to be flying eight people around. The likelihood you're going to buy a trip on jet, it is probably pretty small. <laughs> but at the same time, they're going to be learning about what are the economics of all-electric planes? How reliable are they? What is the maintenance like? And that means that We're that much closer to a truly electric commercial airplane.
2: Uh, That's a good one, Ben. My shout out goes to Southwest Airlines, even though two of their aircraft have flown a little too close to the house while we're recording this. Hopefully you didn't pick that up on the mic. While we talked about Gary Kelly and Bob Jordan, um, something else happened in June that we alluded to as well. Southwest celebrated its 50th birthday. They have had a really remarkable history and continue to impact the industry in so many positive ways. The entire global airline business is better because of the vision of Herb Kelleher and the leadership team he assembled that continues his legacy. So happy birthday to Southwest.
1: That's a great shout out. In my airline economics class that I teach at George Mason University as a fun thing, I tell my students who I think the Mount Rushmore of airline. People are sort of the people who've been most influential in how the current airline looks. And Herb Kelleher is a prominent piece on that Mount Rushmore. Southwest map. has been an amazing company. Thank you all for listening to
0: Airlines Confidential. Have a good week. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.